women for so long have been told not to talk about money and it's actually like done Mm -hmm. us a huge disservice. And so I think just bring them into the conversation when you're talking about money and what investments you're making and what you're thinking about in terms of like saving for college or whatever. Welcome to the podcast where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and the brightest in the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. My guest today is Jessie Draper, a mother of three boys, which is probably her biggest accomplishment. But she's also the founding partner of Halogen Ventures, focused on early stage investing in consumer tech companies led by female and co-ed teams. Jessie is the first solo female GP in LA and also a fourth generation venture capitalist. I'm definitely going to dig into that. She's a creator and host of the Emmy-nominated television series, The Valley Girl Show, and host of the Monumental Podcast. We have a lot to dig into. We're going to talk about her mission, what drives her and her company. So let's get to it. Jesse, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, welcome, 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 welcome. And let's just do a quick shout out to the man who connected us, Mr. Jay Rosenzweig, international man of mystery, the ultimate connector. <laughs> real, real quick homage here. What, what do you love most about Jay? I love, he's a, a major connector. He's also um, very, very supportive of women in business. Totally. And he does that in so many different parts of his life. Um, he really, uh, he does like a whole women report every mm-hmm. year, the Rosenzweig report um, on women in, in business. And I'm so grateful. He's one of my investors and um, advisors, and I just love him. He is the best. And I want everyone out there, I'll link it up to Jay's annual uh, annual well, women's report. It's fantastic features. Some of the the, the best and the brightest, a lot of names you recognize, a lot of names you may may not, and sharing their wisdom as well. So let's 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 get back to the, the guest of honor, Jesse here. Fourth generation VC. Four generations. Tell us a little bit about your family history. Yeah, my um, you know, my great grandfather was the first venture capitalist on the West Coast. And then my grandfather, who's still around and kicking in ninety-six, um, he um came out West was at Sutter Hill and then started, uh, Draper Richards. Um, and now they have the Draper Richards Kaplan foundation, which is they like, um, they help sort of fund nonprofits. Um, and you have to be, you have to be self-sustaining in three years, but you get sort of money from them for three years until you're a self-sustaining nonprofit. And they've helped things like room to read and many nonprofits around the world. And then my dad started Draper Fisher Jurvetson. Now he runs Draper Associates, um, and f- was one of the first investors in Tesla and SpaceX and um, crazy. all sorts of fun stuff. So, I mean, you think about it. I mean, so much has changed in in, in the lifespan of your family. And, and growing up as as a little girl, did you did you know this was the route you were going to go into, or were there other options? Was there no other options on the table? Like, did you know that you were going to the family business? No, I'm um, I'm I was a girl. <laughs> um, and spoiler alert. <laughs> and I was, I'm, I used to shy away from even sharing anything about my family because 
there's a lot of preconceived notions when you say you're fourth generation of anything. And it was not a direct route for me. Um, but also I think it's a really important piece of my story because I was raised by incredible men. Um, but because I was raised by men, I didn't think I could go into this industry. And so I, why? um, I, because there just weren't any women in it, um, at all. Like I grew up with, I'm the oldest of four and my two brothers also run venture firms. Um, and we all kind of like work separately, but like we've done a deal on occasion together and, you know, they went straight into it, but I looked at my aunt who was an actress, like when I was starting at the age of eight or something, my aunt was an actress and she was sort of a successful actress. She was on a show called 30 something. And, um, she, um, I was like, Oh, that's what women do. Like my mom raised four kids and, Mm -hmm. but a traditional job for a woman is an actress. So like any young girl, I went to Hollywood, went into entertainment, had some success, was on a Nickelodeon show, did a bunch of movies. And I, I simultaneously was kind of like over it because I'd go to these cattle calls, be 500 people in a room, you know, they'd look just like me. I'd get into the producer's office. They'd be like, don't speak. I don't care what your name is. Like, turn around, turn around. No, we're not even going to have you like read or whatever. It was just like very degrading. It's dehumanizing. What a terrible oh, it's process. Terrible. It was terrible. I'd just be like, hi, I'm Jesse. They'd be like, sort of like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Um, Bye. So they, I just thought that was like ter- a terrible situation. And I'm like, I can be so much more productive. And it was those early days of like the blogosphere. People were just putting video content online. And I went, because I was a Z-list celebrity on this Nickelodeon show, I went to the first, I was invited to the first Twitter conference. And mm. so I went to the first Twitter conference at the Skirball Center in LA. It's probably 08, 2008. And I said, okay, well, I have six months till I film this show, this show I'm on and I'm going to move home and start a tech talk show. I'm going to like combine these two worlds. Cause I feel like there's something interesting happening with social media. So I moved home, started this show in my garage, uh, you know, before I, um, before Elon Musk was on the cover of magazines, he was on my right. ridiculous talk show. He and I both wish it would die from the internet, but it's still there. Um, and oh, the internet doesn't, interview- things live forever. Yep. <laughs> I I um interviewed tons of incredible entrepreneurs, but I was only interviewing men in tech. And so I made this in, initiative to interview 50% women in tech and they came and this was like Sheryl Sandberg before anyone knew who she was and before she'd written Lean In and Jessica Alba when she started Honest Company and Julia Hartz from Eventbrite. And, um, and so I created this tech talk show. We were like one of the first video content companies to partner with Forbes.com and Mashable. All these tech news sites were looking for video tech content. And we were really the only people running a tech talk show. And it was super fun and silly and ridiculous. And then um, we like took it to TV, was nominated for an Emmy, built out like a tech news blog. We acquired another tech news blog in Los Angeles. And then um, I started just seeing the opportunity where women were coming to me and they were like, Hey, I have this great company. And I'd say it's a little early for the show. Um, but I love what you're doing. Can I negotiate some sweat equity? And ultimately I started writing small checks and some of those did really well for me. Um, and I made, I then had like a little track record to go off of. And my husband, I remember sort of pointed out to me like, so we're barely breaking even with this like show you're doing. And I had this opportunity to syndicate, but I still would have, I was staying up 24 seven, turning around these episodes. Like 
had to close caption them. It was just like this old system. I'm sure it's better now. Mm-hmm. And we were in San Francisco locally and they wanted us to do Seattle and somewhere in Arizona, I mean, somewhere in Arizona. And um, I was like, wait, you're not going to give me more money to do this. How can I even like, this is like a one woman show already. Like I can't do this without more money. And so my husband's like, you're going to be working harder. Like, let me get this straight. You're going to be working harder, but like, you're not going to be making any more money. Yeah. What are you doing here? Yeah. What are you doing? Why are we doing this? What's the end goal? Totally. And so, um, he said, you know, your investments are going pretty well. Um, why don't you look into doing that? So I think in the back of my head, I knew the business. I think eventually I probably knew I was going to go into this, but I had to kind of find my own way, be an entrepreneur first. And really there were no women, like there were no women in this industry. And so Mm -hmm. I just didn't get it. I was just like, well, I can't do it even though all the men are doing it because I just, I'm female. And so I then went and raised my first fund, um, with my little track record, pitched a lot of the guests on my show, not Elon. I would love him to invest. That would be nice. Um, it's got a little bit of a bankroll. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like easier. Um, the, uh, and then we, I'm now on my third fund. We're in the middle of raising our third fund. Congrats. And um, thank you. So Wait, when we've let, me, let me ask companies. you this. It's amazing. 78 companies, women led, uh, yeah. mostly. I mean, what, what's the, I want to, I want to go back for a second here, but what's, what's kind of, what's the criteria for the companies that you invest and work with? So we do early stage consumer tech and some B2B software. Um, we are. Uh, Right now, we're very focused on future of family. So that's anything supporting the family at work, at home, the physical health of the family, so some consumer health care, and then the financial health of the family. But we're funding, you know, three people in a room with an idea. Like, we're the earliest stage of capital. Um, so we really get a bet on people's dreams, and um, I love it. Do you bet on the jockey or the horse? <laughs> oh, I love this question. I'd bet on the jockey because I bet on the entrepreneur and like the horse you do have like data around. Um, but ultimately the jockey is going to like lead the horse to victory. Right. And so I'm right. all, I'm, this is a people business. It's all about the people. They like, I spend hours getting to know these people inside and out. What makes them tick? Why, how are, like, are they going to take this? It's a tenure. Yeah, like it's a ten-year marathon with them, so you really need to like believe in the people because so, they get you there. Let's 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 dig into that a little bit. I'm I'm in the people business, being a recruiter by trade, and I want to talk about those skill those characteristics, right? Like, let's talk yeah. about some of those core core characteristics. What's what's your your top three? I want to really kind of dig in <clears throat> for all the founders out there. This is going to be a, a quick quick little master class. Welcome to our TED talk here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> those are, those are the skills. Like anytime, like anytime I'm watching, I watch Shark. My my daughter's eleven. Uh, I have eleven year old and a five year old son. Uh, my daughter, we watch Shark Tank almost every night. She loves Shark Tank, and I've had the, the honor to meet a couple of the sharks. I know a couple of them, and she loves it. Oh, Dad, how do you know Mark Cuban? And I was like, oh, blah blah blah. But that's not even the part that she loves. She loves when they talk about when they make an offer and they go, "I'm investing in you. I don't even care about this product so much, but I believe in you." And I think that's a yeah. piece that really stands out. So talk to us a little bit about. What are those traits? What are those questions? How do you how do you get to the, the the chi of someone's character that you're going to invest in? 
Yeah. I mean, now I have a lot of reps, you know, and we've seen like the good, bad and the ugly. I would say just a quick side note about Shark Tank. It's so funny because I've seen, I know Mark, but I've seen, um, I've seen how it's changed my industry because now we have these pitch days where we'll have Mm -hmm. like 10 companies come in and pitch. And I've had people like shout at me, like be like, no, 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 it's a hundred thousand. We want a hundred thousand for this. And I'm like, so we're not Shark Tank. So like, we're going to have a conversation. This is very different from the show. If that's all you know about investing. And it's so funny. Like they just, they think the deals happen that fast when really that's like a full day of filming. Right. And there's also a big disclaimer on it too. Like there's a lot of, of things behind the scenes when they make the offer. It's not a binding offer when they do it on the show. There's a lot of, there's a lot of due diligence that has to go into them on the back end, on the, on, on the, on the back end too. But like, let's, what are those characteristics? Like what, you know, what is that? What are those? Um, let's call them deal breakers. What, what are the must haves? The must haves are something I've stuck, stayed true to from the beginning is really the idea of like an open mind. Um, some people might consider it partially like coachability, but like the openness to change and pivot. And so I actually ask a lot of questions in the first meeting where I'll sort of say, okay, what if um, you know, the manufacturer burnt down and you weren't going to be able to manufacture in Denver anymore. Um, and if they say to me, oh, that'll never happen. That's like never going to happen. It's great manufacturer, blah, blah, blah. I will, I'll walk away honestly, Mm. because that, that means they can't think through the problem and solve the problem. And I want the person who's like, you're right. Let me think about that. There is this other manufacturer I've been talking to, but I probably like once we get bigger, we need to diversify our manufacturing like and how that looks. And, you know, we might um, like there was a whole we had a whole pull. All of our manufacturing at a lot of our companies was pulled from China. Like during COVID, we had to like anything who had anyone who had a physical product and was manufacturing in China. Like that was like a major issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and these things really happen. Like I used to yeah, ask real world before COVID. Yeah, like before COVID, I'd be like, what if we had an international pandemic and everything shut down? What would that look like? It happened. You just want to see that they're going to roll with it. And then in terms of, so the deal breaker for me there would be like, the red flag would be like, no, we're going to go this way. This is how it's going to go. It's going to go straight up the hill. And then we're going to be a billion dollar company. I'm like, well, it's never straight up the hill, actually. Um, Never, ever. And then really what I do is I look through 78 founders, I mean, we've had so many different types, but I look through the biggest successes in my portfolio, like the companies right. who so you follow the you data, know, you follow Walmart the patterns, Twitter. Yeah. Like, and I'm constantly trying to analyze like what was different about them. And I'd say like the one through line that I, I think they all have is they don't want to be the star. It's about the work. It's about the customer. And if you say, if you point out a problem, they are obsessed with it until they solve it. Like they just don't even care. And then if they're, um, they don't care about anything else and they want to just work and create the best business, listen to all the customers and they're obsessive with their customers. Um, and it's also like, there's this girl, um, Esther Crawford. She was one of my founders. She started this company, Squad App, which we sold to Twitter sort of like in the beginning of COVID. It did pretty well for us. And when I invested in that company, it was an audio technology that plugged into Amazon's Alexa, which at mm. the time was pretty new and novel. Right. 
then she turned it into that wasn't working. So then all of a sudden it was this social media app called Molly, which was a problem for like a multitude of reasons, the name alone. And it was this like younger social media app and the um, users weren't engaging enough and all this stuff. So then she pivoted again and she realized that something that they liked in that social media app was this screen sharing technology she created in, Mm -hmm. in Squad app. So she changed it to Squad app and it's this screen sharing technology where you can like watch a YouTube video with like five of your friends, you know, right. and see their faces on it. And so you can imagine like it multiple blew up FaceTime screens. Yes, exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so everyone would like do funny selfies with the videos they were watching. I don't know. It blew up. And so um, she then sold that to Twitter. Like that was the company. It was so dramatically different from what I had invested in, but it didn't matter because I bet on that jockey. I bet on the horse and not the horse. I bet on the person who was going to take it all the way. And she was was going to innovate. You knew she was going to change. This is is working. This isn't working. And she just wanted to solve the problem. And those are the best founders, like heads down, you know, Care Not about scared to work. roll up the sleeves, do do the work. Yeah. I want. I want. Last year is a crazy stat from doing our research. You know, last year women-owned businesses generated 1.8 trillion. Yet they still struggle to to, to raise funding. Right? Like, mm-hmm. where's the system broken, and how are we going to fix it? So, the system is broken in so many ways. But I actually think it's it's a bigger problem actually than just female and minority-led um, companies and funds. Uh, the bigger issue is actually at the LP level. So that would be my limited partners. Mm-hmm. Like um, our friend Jay, who introduced me to you, is one of my LPs. And he's like just the exception to the rule. But the typical LPs come from university endowments, pension mm-hmm. funds for like, you know, teachers unions, um, the uh, any kind of like university or a, a lot of advice. There are also these advisors who advise the majority of the capital. Right now, all that capital has no diversity of thought or location. It's all managed kind of by the same crew of people and the same the old guard. Of companies. And it's all going to the same five venture capital funds in Silicon Valley. And those aren't even venture capital funds anymore. You have Sequoia, you have Andreessen, they've all filed, filed so as RIAs. They're private wealth management groups now because they want to do different things. They're basically PE money at this point. And the problem is emerging managers. So because these limited partners are continuing to fund the same five funds, there's no room for new managers, male, female, or whatever. There's no money going towards them from these institutions because the people at the top of the institution, and they're the ones telling me this, they'll say, well, we don't get fired if we keep doing the same thing. And like have these same sort of like basic returns. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if you invest in an emerging manager, like this could be a much bigger return for you. Also, how are you going to know who the next managers of the future are? So I think that's actually like all the kings sitting on top of their piles of gold, not diversifying the money where you have University of Arizona outsourcing to, say, uh, some advisor in New England um, and instead of having University of Arizona invest their own capital in Arizona. Right. Like local. local, like build up your community. And that's the problem. And then the other issues are the networks, you know, everyone's going after the Stanford and Harvard engineers still. Right. They're not they're diversifying. Like, they're not diversifying. Totally. And they say things to right. me like, well, women don't come to me. 
And I'm like, yeah, well, you got to find the women and not just go to the same group. It's of so people. it's so crazy because like to think about it, you know, I mean, I'm no spring chicken, but to think about when this we'll call it this evolution, the the whole venture capital investing entrepreneurship, we'll call it 20, 25 years. It's, it was a wild West and it was crazy and it was opportunity everywhere. And now it's kind of become so, you know, institutionalized and, and, and so archaic and the old guard. It's, it's so counterintuitive to what the ethos really is about innovation and a diversity of thoughts and coming up with new ideas and sourcing new talent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and actually, you know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with my friend, um, Meredith Finn, who's amazing. She was at Salesforce Ventures and she's just like this incredible operator. And she was saying that actually you have an opportunity as a recruiter to start diversifying the talent pool. And, you know, if you're in recruiting, that could be a really great place to um, just start you know, I'm constantly thinking about diversity, like, well, what do our companies look like at the earliest stages? Like, do we have diversity of age, race, and gender? Like, I want to build these billion dollar businesses of the future that look different than they do today. And I want it to represent all of, you know, the United States, uh, not just like one sector. And so I think with the change of the capital distribution, which hopefully will happen, because I stand on my soapbox and shout about it all day long. Um, and then, also, you could actually kind of start a movement in terms of recruiting and looking for just making sure you're thinking about diversity, too, and making sure that, you know, you're not pulling from the same talent pool. I think that can oh, help we us. Do. We, we do. We, we, we do over here. And, and, and that's a big thing with a lot of our companies come to us. And it's one of those things where I try to really assess, is this just a throwaway comment that they need to say, like a boilerplate, make sure, make sure you diversity. But diversity really comes, it's not always necessarily the, the, the backgrounds of people, but it's diversity of mindset and diversity of sourcing. Where are we finding these candidates? Are we looking in the same old places or are we looking in new places, right? And, and breaking down biases and barriers and all that too. And you look at me on the outside and you see white, middle-aged, you know, middle-class male, that, that doesn't mean I am not, you know, super... Um, mindful, active, engaged, and committed to diversity and inclusion. I mean, and that's really important. And, and that's what we do when we work with a lot of our companies. It's about our processes and how we find uh, and all the recruiters that we work with. And the other part, Jesse, it's a Trojan horse. Us recruiters who are in this line of work, deal flow. We hear so many things. We are in the mix. We hear opportunities. We're talking to candidates. So there's an opportunity for a lot of us good recruiters here to be in that intersection and bringing opportunities to the table of a lot of the portfolio companies and VCs that I work with. So it's kind of right. a fun little, a fun little world. And that's why I love talking to folks like yourself. Let's talk about Halogen. Um, what, what was the mission when you set out to build Halogen and, and what are you doing consistently to make sure you're staying on track? Oh my gosh, big question. But I was actually yep. still sort of pondering. We could, we could, when, we could, we could. I was pondering. Well, you, you said I'm a white middle aged guy, but I don't want you to think wrongly. And I think this is the problem. Like I was raised by incredible white men, like also. And it's a real bias. It's a bias. And it's like, we can't talk about it that way. Like we actually just need to look for people like yourself who are bringing everyone together. I think instead of separating everyone into these mm -hmm. different groups, like we need to just make sure we're representing everyone, have all voices at the table. But it's like, I know that 
predominantly white middle-aged men are just getting the bad rap but i also think that like we can't say all of them are the enemy <laughs> like it's just the no there's so many there's so many allies right and then like i mean i'm not gonna yeah. go down the the whole thing of 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 whatever i'm not gonna go down that that road right now but it, it's true and it's hard and i see it from a recruiting perspective when it comes to ageism right it used to be oh they're only hiring you know you know white middle-class males now that it's the hardest sector to find jobs for yeah oh right? that's versus finding just the best available talent yeah you know, and i work with those companies and I go let's let's I go what's more important to find the best available talent or you know diversity and and, and it's a it's a tough balance it's and it comes down to the companies that understand diversity is in the sourcing to give everyone an equal opportunity to find the best available talent if it just happens yeah. to be that the best candidate that we saw and we want is a white middle-class male but we made sure that we did our due diligence and we were able to touch every talent market under, under every underserved underrepresented talent market out there, then we did our job. Yeah. I and that's, that's the way great. I like to, that's, that's the way we like, I like to approach it and have those conversations. I just look at it. Like I love everyone. I don't it's want a, anyone to feel like, look, like it kills me that you're feeling guilty because of, you know, how you look. And that's just, that just like makes me sad. It's like, we need to figure out how to bring everybody together, but you're doing that with the recruiting. You can make big change there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then your question in terms of yes, how halogen, I stand bring it back. I don't know how I bring stay it. on track. I just had two girls on maternity leave. Um, and these are the issues you deal with. I like support women, but I had two girls go on maternity leave at the same time. And it was hell. It was the hardest. It was the hardest couple of months of my life. Um, one was my business partner. And um they just came back. So I feel like I'm on track now. But if I there talked to you a couple months ago, I was basically just holding my breath till these people <laughs> came back, trying to fill their spot, mm -hmm. but not knowing they were coming back. I'm like, I can handle this. And I felt like I just couldn't move forward. But, you know, right now, something I'm kind of just struggling with is I work around the clock. People are like, why are you emailing me at 2 a.m.? But that's just like how, I don't know, it's like a silent time in my mm -hmm. house. I just sort of like do emails all the time. And, um, I'm trying to figure out how to separate work and my personal life because I'm realizing it's bleeding in too much and I need to lighten my load when I'm at home. Like, and that's something I'm sure so many people struggle with, but I'm trying to figure out what do I need more right. meditation? Do I need to like find more mm -hmm. me time? That's something because I'm realizing it's actually wearing on my body. And my New Year's resolution this year was health and wellness. But I don't know if I had to reschedule you last week. I can't remember. I had to reschedule a bunch of people because I got rotavirus. I don't mm. know if you've ever had this, but it's the worst thing ever. And I like new experiences, but this is not one I want this anyone This is not to a have. fun one. And I was, I couldn't keep anything down. My body was literally falling apart. And I feel like That's it's been fun. this sign that I need to Your like. Your body's tired. My body is like, you need and to chill out. And I don't know how to do that. Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. It's it's so crazy because there's there's not a silver bullet 
you know, solution for this. And, you know, the, the word is harmony, right? People talk about work-life balance, but the, the word is harmony. And, and cause it's balance means it has to be, you know, one side or the other, but how do you integrate them together? How do you make it work for you? And from what I hear from talking to so many incredible folks is prioritization, right? And boundaries. And, and I think that's really defining what works for you and testing into things and having, Hey, listen, right now it's a no phone zone. Like for, for, very small example in our house is no phones at, at the dinner table. Anytime we're eating, I love that. phones need to be away, right? All the kids, no devices. Something, don't get me wrong. Sometimes my little five-year-old, we give him the iPad just to shut him up so he eats his meal, <laughs> right? Like we get it, right? We're parents. We, we understand that. Right? I, I want to eat. I want to have a quiet meal, right? I don't need him bothering me. Um, but it's about connectiveness. And personally, I'm, I'm so addicted to this thing. Like this is my, my, my you know, third arm over here. So what I've had to do is physically put the phone in another room. Because yeah. the mental connection of thinking, I need to connect. I need to see if I missed a message. What's next? What's going on here? And we need to, we need to find those, those times and slow downs. And that's a real issue and problem for, you know, for entrepreneurs. Yeah. You Adam, five thank is you. Like, I really my work needed, day's over. I needed I'm parking this my therapy. Phone. I, I really needed this therapy today. I knew you were the right person to ask about this. Well, I like I, that. Prioritization. I, I, boundaries. Just, it's, it's, it, it comes down to that. And, Again, it's, it's, it's practice, and we all feel that burnout. Um, family tech is interesting, and I, I assume you know, COVID was a big um, positive uptake, no pun intended, um, on, 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 on family tech. But what, just for everyone out there who really – what does that encompass? What is family tech all about? So we look at it as like – future of family. And so family tech is in there, but it's so much more than um, family tech. We just, families need so much more. We actually did this huge study on um, what families needed. We interviewed hundreds of um, families across the country and we sort of said, what are you willing to spend money on? What technology would you like? What are you missing? And ultimately they were saying things like, I mean, ultimately parents want more time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Parents were like, I want more time. I want more opportunities for my kids. A lot of them said they wanted more financial management tools for their family. They wanted more meal services, which I thought had been done, but Mm. I was like, okay, I can go find more family meal services for sure. Is it that saturated, Um, right? Yeah. I thought that that was very saturated, but it's like you want more options. Yeah. And so we, so family tech, anything kind of like any kind of technology supporting the family, but we break it into childcare. and then we have, so we do a lot of interesting services around childcare. We have everything from um, a company called Binti that is now working with the government and uh, they put adoption online. And so they actually placed 60% more children in homes last year than wow. the government had ever done because it was all being done by hand. And then, um, yeah, I love that. That's how I feel every time we talk about <laughs> Binti. Um, they're amazing. And then like we- uh, Sorry, this- I'm done. I'm, I'm done with the <laughs> sound effects. It. Um, but we look at that, we look at, there's some future in, of work in there too, just around the childcare. We have um, Upwards, which has 66,000 mm-hmm. in-home vetted childcare locations. They're the most affordable option for childcare. Um, they offer government subsidies, and then they also have a corporate benefits program, and it's run by this um, woman, it's- Jessica, who's incredible. Um, and so we're really trying to solve childcare, but then um, we're also looking at healthcare of the family, you know, the last resort after COVID is going to be going into the hospital. Like what are all the touch points before? 
What are the telehealth opportunities? Who are the new insurance providers? Like, what does that look like? And then you have um, fintech, like families just wanted better, not only financial literacy um, technologies, but Mm -hmm. also just better financial management tools. So we have like LVEST, which is the largest financial management platform for women. And it's the only one that takes childcare into account. Um, And then we are doing, um, yeah, we have like some really interesting companies so, right now that I'm excited about. Uh, but so everything but, kind of supporting the family, we need more technology. I mean, ch- childcare is so crazy and it's so expensive in this day and age. And and there's just a need for it. And then we saw it during COVID, how hard it was for working parents to be productive at home and trying to school their kids and keep them busy. Oh, yeah. And, and it was a disadvantage. And I saw it from a recruiting perspective, from a talent perspective, that folks who had not do not have kids or single had such an advantage as far as being productive and excelling in their careers. Something we really don't talk about. And I would love to actually see some data on the side point. I'm going to see if there's any data on that. Like two, 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 two equal folks at a company, one with kids, you know, pre-COVID versus career tra- trajectory now, how that affected them. Right? So I think that's a real, I think it's an interesting data point we'll get to. So, um, what what is that next next industry or sector that's ripe for disruption? Maybe crystal ball in front of you. What do you, what do you think it is? What do you, what, do you, what do things coming down the pipe? I mean, people have so many different opinions. Like, obviously, climate is pretty critical right now. I think it's really you just look at the holes in society. I think we're mm-hmm. trying to solve childcare, um, and that touches everything everyone should care about. You know, you hear people like. Um, like, I just want to get the homeless off the street. Well, actually, if we solve childcare, we can do a lot of that. Um, and so we just invested in a company called um, Raza that is helping expunge criminal records, um, which is like part of like our incarceration system is super yeah. messed up. Our foster care system is super messed up. And I feel like it's this little triangle. You have like sort of childcare, which can't be solved without foster care, which can't be solved mm-hmm. without like solving incarceration. Right. Recidivism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and in your business, actually the expunging the records should be really important because especially for low level drug offenses. Yep. Yeah. That are being, you know, wiped out. One out of three people in the United States have something on their criminal record. Well, we'll, we'll sidebar. I'm a, I've been working with uh, an organization called The Five Ventures over the last five years that does a lot of this work. I'll, I'll sidebar with you on that one. But Je- okay. Jess, what, what, what's, what's keeping you up at night these days besides writing emails at two o'clock in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really want to solve childcare. I want to get these kids off of the street because, you know, if we solve the foster care system, which is just broken in society we get 50 percent of the people off of like the homeless off the street and um incarceration should go down significantly that keeps me up at night and then also just gender equality i mean i think i feel it every day and some days that Mm -hmm. really gets me down i feel like i need to keep pushing that forward and fighting however i can um to make sure that women are getting you know, equal treatment and also equal pay and we're getting funded. Um, and so that's really important to me, but we need incredible allies like you too. And we appreciate that. So how, how can, how can men be the best allies possible? You know, something I think you can do is just talk to your daughters about 
money. Talk to your significant others about money. Talk to your sisters. Talk to your, you know, moms. I think women for so long have been told not to talk about money and it's actually like done Mm -hmm. us a huge disservice. And so I think just bring them into the conversation when you're talking about money and what investments you're making and what you're thinking about in terms of like saving for college or whatever, um, bring them into those conversations. And then for like the greater workforce, I think you, you know, make sure there's a female represented in the boardroom, like mentor women, um, don't feel like you can, you're, you should only mentor, you know, men who you see yourself Mm -hmm. in, like these women are like dying for these mentors too. And the workforce is predominantly made up of men. So we do need we need male mentors. We need um, male mentors. Think, yeah, I think it's really important. Um, so I think think about those things, but make sure you're talking to your, you know, daughters, sisters, mothers about money, and um, I think that's a, that's a, a, that'll help everything. Love it. Great advice. So let's let's bring it home here, Jesse. What is? I'm actually going to put a little spin on my on my traditional question that I go here. What is the single greatest piece of advice that you ever got from your grandfather that you apply today in business? Um, that I apply today in business. Something that he taught you that just ingrained. You know, he has the best spirit and he always said, um, you know, if you like do what you love and the money will come. And I, I do believe that if you like keep working hard, But the other thing that he really like makes me think about a lot is when you're having a really hard day, he always says, um, it, it's a hard day today, but it's going to make a great story. (laughs) And like, just to start laughing about it before it's a story, I think is it just like, you know, keeps your heart happy, keeps your health, um, intact. So you're not just like stressed out about it. And it puts, Um, puts it, puts things in perspective. Yeah. Yeah, right. totally. One of one of my quotes that I keep saying every day because it's been it's been a it's been a rough year in the, in the world of tech and recruitment, you know, and everything. And one of the quotes that I keep saying to myself that it came from one of my mentors, Claude Silver, works for the the great Gary V. Is we've all survived a hundred percent of our bad days, mm-hmm. right? We get through it, we figure it out, and we continue to to, to march on. Um, I love let, that. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a, it's a good yeah. one. When shit gets tough, you know, really, really think about it. And and listen, like there's a lot of folks out there where this, that's a real issue. And, yeah. you know, mental health is a real thing. And I think we need to look out for each other um, and just ask like your friend, like check in with people genuinely, like, how's it going? What's happening? You good? Right? Like people, we, we lost that connection over COVID and because we've been apart and we need, we need to bring that back. But let's, let's finish on a, on a high note here, Jesse, last but not least, you know, you look back on you know, your life in those moments when you, things weren't great. And all those times where you really had to dig down deep and harness that inner tenacity, that tenacity that every great entrepreneur has and pull yourself up. And on the flip side, you sit here with gratitude for this life, this family, this business, this career that you've created and all these women that you've empowered these businesses. What is your focus? What is your beacon? Jesse Draper, what is your North Star in life? My North Star in life. Yes, we finished strong here on the podcast. <laughs> I think my North Star um, is really, I'm constantly thinking about how can I fund, you know, how can I fund women? How can I make sure that 
billions of dollars is going towards women as well. And we, there's, you know, people ask me all these questions like, are there, what, like, what if there's a guy on the team? And I'm like, we have three male CEOs and 78 companies. So it's like no discrimination there. But, um, I'm constantly thinking, how can I raise more money to fund like the next woman? I want to have so many female CEOs at the top Mm. that, you know, a little boy could look up to them, a little girl could look up to them. And it's just normal to like have 50% uh, female business leaders. Um, I think that's what I sort of wake up in the morning and I love working towards. I love it. Jesse Draper, I want to thank you so much for joining me. And if you want to learn more on how to invest in women, check out halogenvc.com. We're going to link it up. Follow Jesse on Twitter and on LinkedIn. We'll have all the information below. Jesse, I want to thank you so much for joining me and sharing your wisdom with our audience today. Thank you so much, Adam. This was so fun. And um, yeah, I'm excited to hear it. Awesome. Good stuff. And everyone out there, if this episode meant something to you, leave a review, a rating. It goes a long way. Find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all of our social media channels. Remember, be good to yourself, be better to others, and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Take care, everybody. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search the podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.